Hey guys and gals, welcome back to another episode, a Monday night live stream episode of the Constructive Liberty Podcast. Tonight I've got with me David Steen, the author of Almost Home, Setting Our Sights Towards Heaven. And we're talking about really getting our priorities straight, as in making sure we're not focused on the things of this world, but seeking things that truly matter. And I'm going to let David introduce himself. Him and I have met recently. We've, we've kind of come to know each other in an online community that we're both in over the last, I don't know, what, year or so? Yeah. And we actually had a chance to meet here close to Nashville recently at, a, at an event that we were both at. And we hit it off. I said, hey, you should come on my podcast and talk about your book. So, David, why don't you give an introduction of yourself? Tell, give a little background about, you know, kind of how young David grew up through the experiences that you had and how it made you the man you are today and kind of where the book came out of. And I know that's a lot to encapsulate, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sounds good. I appreciate you uh, allowing me to be on here, Ken. Thanks for, for letting me uh, join join this time with you. Uh, so, yeah, I, I uh, you know, I, my accent probably gives me away. I'm a mostly native guy from from Arkansas. Uh, you know, my dad was in the Navy and we moved back to Arkansas where mom and dad are from when I was about seven and, you know, never, never even remember hardly coming here at all. We'd visited a time or two when I was a kid, but uh, younger than that, but moved back to Arkansas, grew up and born and, you know, not born here, but raised here. And, and that's been home for me most of my life. And, you know, part of that existence was, you know, we had a typical, uh, you know, family of four, me and my mom and dad and sister, and we lived in the country, you know, mom and dad bought 10 mm-hmm. acres and, and just did the farm life, you know, everything. Of course, dad, dad worked and, you know, even after getting out of the Navy, but, uh, they just, you know, entrenched in us, ingrained in us that, that desire to live out in the country, to be out in, in the outdoors. And so that's what country I Country life is the best. Yeah. We, we just loved country life. And so, you know, as, as I grew up, that's where I learned to work, you know, learn how to drive a, a truck in a hay field and, and, uh, you know, before, long before I had a license to, uh, mm-hmm. get out there, drive grandpa's truck and, and just be exposed to, to all manner of, of work, you know, more than I ever, <laughs> ever wanted really, you know? Yeah. But, uh, but, you know, it was great. It taught me how to work and gave me a good work ethic and, and, uh, you know, family dynamic, you know, we were, we were raised in church and, and been around church most of my life, but, uh, but it really instilled in me the value of family and, uh, and home. And so that, you know, that was our good foundation for me. Uh, I wasn't always on the right, uh, track with that, you know, as so many do, you know, get, get kind of goofy and wild you know, in, kind in of typical for a young man, you know, especially yeah. one that grows up in the country, you find yeah. creative ways to get in trouble. That's right. I, and I sure <laughs> did. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I tell you, I grew up in that and was immersed in it and didn't really understand the value of it until, you know, later on, you know, after I became a man and grew up and got into the corporate world. And, you know, I just just didn't do everything quite right. You know, I was a Christian, but, but, uh, made a lot of mistakes. And then in my, you know, married young 
and got divorced young, you know, which was, you know, a huge mistake. But, but out of that came a lot of education for me, you know, of the hard life and, and learning things the hard way. But, you know, as, as, you know, time went on in my twenties, uh, got divorced and just didn't really, didn't really think I'd ever marry again. And so, uh, but in my late twenties, uh, you know, I got on my face before the Lord and, and gave him, you know, all of me, you know, said, Lord, if this is what you want me to do, you know, put the right lady in front of me. And, and, uh, sure enough, he did, you know, he brought my sweet wife, Katrina to me and, you know, she had been through a real similar, you know, upbringing situation, uh, divorce. And, you know, it was almost like we lived two parallel stories in two separate worlds in Arkansas and God brought us together in a miraculous way, uh, about 25 years ago. And so, so this book is, you know, kind of a culmination of our story, but it, it really gets back to, you know, the roots of home the roots of, of, you know, what we're all about, particularly our faith and our family and, you know, hard work, and pursuing the American dream. And, uh, you know, I'll, I've, I've got a, a copy of the book here. Let me see if I can get that up on camera. Yeah, there you go. But uh, so it's almost home setting our sights toward heaven. And uh, so, you know, it's, it's our story. It's, it's our story of pursuing that American dream. And Talk then, about that a little bit. What What is the American dream today? You know, it seems like it's changed over when that term was originated the, originally the american dream was you know 40 acres and a homestead and you've got yeah. a got a cow and you know uh ox or whatever mules to farm the land with and all of that what's the modern american dream or or how do you interpret that i think you know i even talk about this in the book but for me you know the american dream was to go to school get an education get a good job uh, you know, get a family and uh, pursue, you know, that career path, you know, find find what you're going to do for the rest of your life and then just dig in and do that, you know, for 40 something years till you retire. And then, you know, when you get in your retirement years, then you just sit back, put your feet up and, you know, wait for the retirement money to take care of you, which is not biblical at all. You know, mm-hmm. just, you know, just to, you know, do your 30 or 40 years in a company and and then just sit back and, and not do much. But, you know, for me, that that dream, you know, included, uh, you know, everybody wants a place to call home, you know, and they want a house. And, you know, one of the things I kind of refer to a lot is that, you know, beyond what what you said there of you know, going out getting your 40 acre claim of land and, and just working yourself to death from, from dawn till dusk. And, and, uh, and it's hard work and it's hard work. I can't not, I can't even imagine what it would have been like to, to do that, to live like that. But, you know, I think back in, in that earlier vision of the American dream, there was a, a lot more sharing, you know, I think, you, you think of the word sharecropping, which is not exactly the same thing, but there was a lot more of people that depended on each other and, and love to help each other. And, and it was really necessary. 
you know, out in the, out in the wilderness, you know, to go out, stake your claim and then depend on your neighbor on the next 40 acres or Mm -hmm. what have you to, to really depend on each other. But this modern American dream is, you know, you think about people that get their house, get a townhouse, an apartment or whatever it is. They work, they work all day, take the kids to school and back and take their kids to activities. And then they, drive into their garage, put the garage door down, roll up the sidewalks and, and go inside and forget the world. You know, that's, that's kind of the modern American dream. I would, I would say, you know. Yeah. That, that seems to be how it's gone. And, and I've wondered, you know, as, as I came to know that term, the American dream, and this is kind of getting off topic here, but is that something that was sold to us to get us to pursue a certain lifestyle at the benefit of somebody else? Like, you know, back in the mid last century, you know, the dream was to work 30, 40, 50 years at some company, work your way up and get the gold watch and retire. Yep. Who does that benefit the most? Definitely the company you're working for because they have less turnover they don't have to train new people in. You're building their dream. Yeah. And I I, I wonder if, because I, I think down with 100 people, 100 different people, you're going to get 100 different dreams. Yeah. And and when we say the American dream, it, it seems too all-encompassing. And, and I've really started to question where that's come from. But um, you touched on something a second ago. You talked about you wanted a place to call home, and it reminded me of an article I read recently. I don't remember where I found it, but it talked about somewheres and anywheres. Basically, people who people who are somewheres are somebody that belong. They have a home. Their grandparents grew up there. Their dad, mom, and dad grew up there. They grew up there. They have somewhere to call home. Now yeah. it seems like we have a lot more anywheres that have no home. They don't have the belonging. They don't have the four and five generations of connections with the local community. How has that been for you? You said when you were young, you kind of moved around, ended up back in Arkansas. What's that been like trying to trying to build those generational connections that may not have been there? I think, you know, for me, you know, and everything before we moved back to Arkansas was when I was younger than seven. So Mm. not much memory of that, just a little. But, you know, after we moved to Arkansas and got settled into our, you know, existence on our 10 acres and, you know, our cows and, and, you know, rabbit dogs and, you know, watching the beagles run around and uh, that was home. You know, that was you know, we, we lived right down the road from my grandpa and he always helped us on the farm and, you know, taught my, my dad how to do a lot of things he didn't know how to do. And, and then we, you know, between my grandpa and us was my cousin and his wife and their family, you know, so we, we did have, you know, some, some real tight knit community right there around us. And, you know, I've lived, you know, a little more than an hour and a half from, from them after I moved from home after high school. And, you know, been in a, been in a few different places, you know, in a, in a neighboring community, I'd say, but for the most part, you know, I feel like I've had good community with family, you know, not been a a long distance from them. And so that's been great, but I'll, you know, I'll add to that, 
that the place we live now where on the, on the little 10 acre farm we have, uh, you know, I can look out the window right now and see one neighbor barely and, and knowing that that neighbor has property on two sides of me, you know, great people. And then on the back behind me is his mother's house, you know, and they've been here for decades. And then I could walk out my front porch and I've got another neighbor and his family that live, you know, several hundred yards across the creek and they own property on two sides of us. And they've been here probably since the 1950s. And so, and then, so they're definitely somewheres. (laughs) Yeah. So I am somewheres and, and they are, and I'm right in the midst of them. And I've been, you know, enjoying, you know, that kinship with these, this new community around us. And, you know, I could take that to the next level. You know, we've got a few neighbors down the road that you actually can see, you know, their old home place that they were born in. That's like over a hundred years old. It's fallen down and and there (laughs) it's still there. But then these people have been on, you know, this property for, you know, 70 plus years and never lived anywhere in their life besides that. And so they have a, a really connected existence. This, this one farmer that lives up the road that, that some of my kids work for, you know, every time I get around him, I just enjoy his stories because he's, he's lived in this community for his whole entire life. And he can tell me all the history of the <laughs> the train tracks and the, you know, everything that's been built and, and fallen down. And, and so he's just, he can just really tell you that history. And so that's, that's really the value of being grounded, you know, right where you are and having family and, and community right around you. You just, you're just there and it, and it is somewheres. Mm-hmm. Are you in the hill country of Arkansas? We're not. We're kind of in between. The The Ozarks are north of, of the interstate for the most part, which was where I was growing up somewhat. And then we're right between the Ozarks and the Washita's. So if okay. I go out my, the south end of my property, you can see uh, the start of the Washita Mountains and it goes south from there. So we're we're kind of in a, in between a nice flat spot. I tell you, I'm, I'm really, <laughs> we had a, our last house was on a hill and, you know, it was an amazing place. We loved living there, but, but getting off that hill was wonderful when we found this nice flat piece of ground. That, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. When, uh, most times when you think of Arkansas, you don't think of nice flat piece of ground. And, and what, what made me think of that was you started talking about being able to see your neighbors and neighbors beyond them and stuff. And it's like, most places I've seen in Arkansas, you ain't seeing many neighbors, probably because they're on the other side of a ridge or through the holler yeah. or something. <laughs> yeah. Or even, you know, even if you go to the, the other side of the state, the, the eastern side of the state, when the mountains cease, it's wide open farmland, just flat as far as you can see, kind of like yeah. Kansas. Down on the Mississippi there. Yeah. And so then you're, you don't see your neighbors because everybody's got, you know, like these hundreds and thousands of acres, you know, plots out there that they're farming. So that, that right. kind of spreads out the neighbor thing, but. <laughs> yeah. So your the title of your book is Almost Home, Setting Our Sights Towards Heaven. What do you think is, or like, how did, where did that come from? Is that something that, you know, kind of came from a longing for home or like what, what brought that title to you? So when we were growing our family size, 
you know, we've got nine kids. We had two apiece when we got married. We have five together for a total of nine. But but as we were growing that family, we built this house that God helped us get together on this hill I was telling you about, about, about 20 minutes from where we are right now, and just loved it. You know, we thought that was going to be the house we were going to be in for the rest of our life. You know, we just put a lot of amenities in it that we liked and, you know, huge wraparound porch and, you know, we, and we just had it right there in the middle of the woods. And so we thought that was home and we, you know, I, I wouldn't say we would consider ourselves greedy or just, uh, you know, just loving it, but I think it did kind of have a little bit of a hold on us, you know, in a way that we just love the idea of that place being our, our home forever, you know, on this earth as, you know, as long as God was going to have us here. But somewhere between that time when we lived on that, in that place and our time when we sold it, God just really, you know, he told us to sell that house, downsize, let go of a lot of the stuff we'd accumulated. And so he took us on that journey. And as we, we uh, were signing the papers on this property we live on now, when we found this farm, couldn't even move into place. It, it was a repo. We got it. And, you know, not a not a dump or anything, but it just needed a lot of work. And as as we were signing the papers on that and I was driving away, God just put on my heart to call this place almost home farm. And the mm. reason was, uh, you know, it was kind of like, well, there's I like this place. I like the land, but it's got this problem or that problem. We got to get this fixed or that fixed. And it, you know, instead of it being this dream home, you know, that we planned from a blueprint, it was something that we were kind of, you know, settling for in some ways. Right. And so that that term just came to me, you know, like, okay, God's given us this place for us to have and blessed us with it. But he's he doesn't want us to grab hold of it like the other home, you know, so Mm. it's kind of like our almost home. And so we just kind of settled into that name and I've, and it's stuck with me since that time to, uh, to call this place, our almost home and not, not our final home because. Yeah. A true halfway that, house. Yeah. More like a halfway house. Right. <laughs> so, you know, so that really got us thinking, I mean, you grow up in the church and, and learn, you know, the Christian communication and mindset, you know, th- for your whole existence, mostly. And you, you always think about heaven and, you know, it's somewhere beyond the blue and, and all that. But somewhere in that process, you know, God just grabbed hold of our hearts and said, you need to let go of all this stuff. You need to start thinking more like a pilgrim, more like a sojourner, somebody that's traveling through this place that's not really a final citizen, you know, in this earth. And so that's really how we came to to come to that name of almost home and and getting our mind and priorities in the right direction. Yeah, that's interesting. I I hadn't heard that story before. That's interesting. What's the, how did, how did life change for you or, or how do you see the difference in lifestyle between someone who has their sights set on heaven versus somebody who, who doesn't is set on you know earthly things or pursuing the physical versus you know the spiritual i think for us you know it's doing our best to not accumulate you know a whole lot of toys all 
all kinds, all manner of everything around us that, that keeps our attention. You know, uh, you see most people in, in America, in the modern world are, are in debt up to their eyeballs. You know, they got every toy imaginable. They got, you know, two cars in the driveway that have payments. They got a boat payment. They got a trailer payment, you know, payments, 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 uh, you know, in debt. And, you know, that makes them be consumed with making money, you know, to have to keep up with all that stuff, keep up, keeping up with the Joneses. Right. And so, you know, it's, it's having that freedom of not accumulating all this stuff and not being so attached to it that, that you care more about your stuff than you do about your family or your neighbors or Mm. other people in need. And that, and that also frees you up to, to be a giver, you know, to be able to help somebody. And, you know, when you, when you're the type of person that just grabs hold of everything you've got and holds on tight, you know, never wants to let go of it, you're less likely to be the kind of person that wants to help and, and give and, and be a, you know, consistent giver. Right. What happens when somebody gets caught up in, in that system of, consume you know have the boat have the nice car um you know you see people that are like that that consume you know that we call it we call ourselves consumers because that's what we do is we tend to consume everything and we will always want more when you get caught in that cycle there's still people that seem to be to have that giving spirit but kind of what happens to somebody over time as they keep going on that hamster wheel of more, 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 and how can we avoid that? Get out of debt. <laughs> That's the simple answer. But, but, you know, to follow up on that, you know, we just, we look around and we we're always comparing ourselves to our neighbors, you know, comp- when I moved on this property, you know, my first thought was, well, I got, I got all this property. I got to buy a tractor. You know, I'm, I got a farm. I got to own a tractor. Right. And I have yet to buy a tractor. I've been on this property for, you know, over six years, haven't bought a tractor and, you know, we're doing just fine because, uh, you know, I didn't, I kind of had that gut feeling when we moved here, Oh, well, I got to have that. It's going to be something we can use. (laughs) And so you just kind of jump into, you know, something like that and think, well, even if I have the money, you know, to buy that tractor, should I, do I, do I need that? And so, you know, we look across the fence, we look across the field at our neighbors and all their stuff. And we get into that cycle of thinking, well, they got a tractor, so I got to have one. Well, you know what, because I didn't buy a tractor, uh, I, I get to communicate with my neighbor uh, that lives, you know, in one direction. And I, I think the first year we, we really needed our field cut down. And so he comes over and he's like, well, you need, you need to cut your field. Just come over and borrow my tractor. And so we did that. And then another neighbor in our other field comes over and he said, do you mind if I come over and hay your field? And I hmm. said, I said, no, I don't mind at all. And so, you know, it kind of, if I had done that, if I had gone out, bought the tractor, just, you know, mowed this place like a, you know, a golf course and just kept it all manicured, 
I would have missed out on that blessing from two neighbors that want to help. And so, so these are the kind of traps we get in, you know, with accumulating things and trying to do things in our own strength. And, and, you know, ideally what happens is you get in that wheel, you get running that race and, you know, you wear out, your wife wears out, all your kids wear out and it's, it strains your relationships. It makes you, uh, feel like you need to work more than you, you know, normally would to, to keep up with all these payments. And, and, you know, you, you alluded to something a little earlier about, well, so what's wrong with having these nice things? Nothing, nothing at all, but you have to keep it in context and you have to make sure, you know, that these are the kind of things that you can handle and maintain and, and take care of. And are, you know, are you supposed to have, you know, this, that, or the other. And so you just have to maintain that balance. You know, the word says, uh, you know, money is the root of all evil, right? No, the Mm, word (laughs) is the root of all evil. And so we have to, you know, put that into perspective with everything we do and every purchase. And, you know, doesn't mean we got to be, you know, frugal, you know, totally thrifty people that never spends a penny on anything. It just means we're supposed to be amazing stewards, you know, with everything that God's given us. Hmm. Talk a little bit about your farm. Is is your farm your job or like where do you go or do you have a job or a business? How do you provide for your family there? So that that is a, a good long story that I've written a book about. But <laughs> uh, but the long and short of it is. Uh, yeah, we moved out here with, you know, kind of an entrepreneurial spirit, you know, like we were going to really just dive in, do some things, create some uh, business income, never run a business before and and still trying to figure that out. But uh, the grand experiment was we had had our five youngest kids at home with us and we moved on to this place, had some nice fencing and, you know, a lot of opportunity. And so we were like, okay, let's, let's let you experiment as a entrepreneurial farmer, you know, in a lot of ways. So we had, we had a, a bottle calf, we've had rabbits, goats, chickens, ducks, uh, guinea fowl. Uh, right now we've got sheep and, uh, my daughter's, uh, got a dog breeding business that she's uh, working right now. And so uh, to answer your question, no, this is not my income, but it's been an an amazing experiment to, uh, to try different things and see what Mm -hmm. works. You know, a lot of the kids grew crops in their gardens. We gave them their own garden patch and said, here, you know, grow this and grow that. And we'll go down and, and sit on the square at the, at the nearest town and, you know, sell cucumbers and squash and whatever else you raise. And, (laughs) So they got to learn that and and they did all the work and and got to receive the reward as well. So that was a learning experience. But to to answer the income part, uh, I worked in the corporate world for about 28 years and, you know, at the same company. And toward the end of that uh, course of events, uh, you know, our company mindset was getting a little bit more uh, sour in my mind. I'd been there, you know, for a long time we got bought by a large corporate conglomerate that, you know, kind of started changing the culture a little bit. And I was just ready to, for a change. I'd started working on my writing career. 
you know, I did did a lot of writing as a product manager in my last role there. And so we were praying for a way out and, and an opportunity to step out of that corporate environment. And one of the things that that really helped us in that process after we bought the farm uh, was being able to get debt free. And mm. so we, we uh, that that was a huge step for us to get everything paid off and to own it all. And, you know, doesn't mean all the bills go away. You know, you still got to pay for <laughs> electric water insurance and taxes and, and food and all that good stuff. But but it sure does relieve the pressure. You know, it does a huge weight off. Yeah. So it takes a huge weight off. And so through through that uh, that process of getting out of debt, walking away from my corporate life with a little bit of severance pay and, and some savings we'd accumulated, we're we're in a grand experiment right now of me becoming a, a full time writer. And so we've awesome. got the book, we've got the book out, got it ready. I'm in the process of, of marketing and developing that and getting it launched uh, later in the fall. The official launch is October the 3rd. And and, you know, another way that really helped us to be able to do this is, you know, my wife had been a homeschool mom for for most of our our marriage you know, been taking care of the kids, a homemaker and loved it and enjoyed doing that. But after my corporate career ended, uh, you know, right, right about the time when some of my income had dried up, uh, God put somebody in my wife's path that said, Hey, I got somebody, uh, that needs help, uh, with some elder care. And, and my wife really had a heart for that and jumped into that. And so now she's been taking care of, of, two different couples for the last little over a year. And wow, it's kind of yeah. helped sustain us and keep us afloat as, as we figure out our next steps. So it's really just been a, a faith walk, you know, to trust God, wait on him and figure this out as we go. And it's, it's really been a, a wonderful journey, you know, don't have it all figured out. And, and still, <laughs> I don't think we ever do, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, but as far as, as having you know piles of money or, or anything like that no we don't but we're we're waiting on the lord and working through this process and and growing this business and learning as we go and it's it's cool. just been a blessing that's awesome that's fantastic where can somebody find you to follow keep up with the launch of the book and and is it available for pre-order or when does that come it out? is available for pre-order you can go to almosthomebooks.com almost home books with a S at the end.com. And that's my website. You can go there. You can uh, pre-order the books for the, for the launch in for October the 3rd. And that's when they'll, they'll ship. They're on all the major sites, you know, wherever you like to buy stuff online for books. And uh, there's also a link on there. If you go to the books uh, tab of my website to, uh, to be able to order a signed copy for me. So I've got advanced author copies right now that you can go there and, uh, and have a signed copy sent to you. And also, you know, on the website, there's, there's several different places for you to join the community, get connected via email. And so we'd love to, to connect with anybody. Uh, just started a blog that we're going to be doing. So, you know, I'm not done with writing. So this is just the beginning of the journey, getting this book out. So we're going to be putting blogs out on a consistent basis you know, trying to continue our story and, and the things we're doing. And so if anybody wants to keep up, they can go to that website and uh, get connected 
with email. We'll get you on and an email. And that's Almost list. Home Books or what's almost, the website for the blog? Yep, it's almosthomebooks.com. Okay. Yep, and, oh, and awesome. we're on face, Facebook and uh, and LinkedIn as well. So, Super. Anything else you'd like to share with us before we wrap it up tonight? i tell you what, I, I really liked what what you and I were talking about earlier about getting your priorities straight. Uh, that, that's really what this is all about. It's about uh, whose stuff all this is and that we're stewards of it. And the sooner a person realizes that in this life, the, the more peace they're going to have in, in knowing who they belong to and whose all this stuff is and getting our sights set in the right direction on heaven. Mm, I love it. Thank you, David, so much for your time tonight. All right. Thanks a lot, Ken.